You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Oh my goodness, he knows he's chomping on the bit and waiting to go. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zed. How you doing? This I'm running late as usual, but I can't help it. Good morning. That's good. We're, I got a good story for us today. All right, go ahead, sir. Okay, Andy Adams. Nobody's ever heard of this guy, but he was a uh, herder on uh, the cattle drive from Texas up into Montana. Mm-hmm. This is a first-hand account that he wrote in, in, a, in his book, and so this is going to be a first-person story. All right. Okay? Now, uh, before we get started, as you think of cattle drives, what do you think is probably the most dangerous thing that would happen on a cattle drive? Stampede. Stampede. I mean, you can think of Indians and uh, floods and all that other stuff, but stampede was the number one. So here we go. Uh they had picked up their cattle down in Texas, and they were running uh, uh, through Texas. They ran uh, through what's called the Running W and the Laurel Leaf ranches. I don't know if you've ever heard of those. Uh, Running W, I have. Okay. Well, he says that we were nearly a week passing through their uh, cattle ranches. Mm-hmm. They also learned that there were three trail herds ahead of them, each with 3,000 head each, and they were already started north, and they're behind them was four more uh, with 3,000 head each. So they're kind of in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, seven big, uh, huge herds of cattle. Okay. So he says, so far we've been having splendid luck in securing water for the herd once a day at least, and oftentimes twice and three three times. He said, our herd was becoming well trail broken by this time, and for range cattle, they had quieted down and were docile and easy to handle. Now, stampedes were generally due to negligence in not having the herd full of grass and water on reaching the bed ground at night. Mm-hmm. Now, he says if care has been used for the first few weeks in properly breaking the herd to the trail, uh, though hunger and thirst are probably responsible for more stampedes than all other causes combined, it basically is the unexpected that can't be guarded against. You know, it's really true with humans, too. Look out for the smorgasbord if I see it. That's right. A stampede is the natural result of fear, <laughs> whether it's a smorgasbord or wherever. But, uh, and at night, or if it's just becoming light or dark, but a flash of lightning, a peal of thunder, the stumbling of a night horse, or even the scent of some wild animal, would just in a moment's time, the frightened herd would... Uh, it would just infect the whole herd as to throw them into the wildest panic. Now, amongst the thousands of herds like like his, which were driven over the trail during its brief existence, none ever made the trip without encountering more or less trouble from what they called them runs, or we call them a stampede. But frequently a herd became so spoiled in this manner that it grew into kind of a mania with them so that sometimes they would get to where they would just stampede for no reason at all or mm-hmm. just with the slightest uh, disturbance they'd just take off so mm-hmm. anyway he says we were beginning to feel a degree of overconfidence in the good behavior of our herd when one night during the third week out an incident occurred in which they displayed the running qualities to our complete satisfaction 
He says it occurred about 2 o'clock in the morning. The night was an unusually dark night, and the atmosphere was very humid. John Officer, one of his, uh, the other guys, and I were riding uh, around the herd when John's horse suddenly struck a gopher, gopher hole with his front feet, and in a moment, horse and rider were both sprawling on the ground. Now, the accident happened just a few yards from the sleeping herd, which instantly came to their feet, and they were off like a flash. Now, Andy was riding a, a really good horse that he really liked, and he says as the cattle headed towards me, he said I had to uh, use his spurs to keep clear of the onrush of cattle. And fortunately, he said we had clear country near the bed ground, and while the terrified cattle pressed me close, my horse kept the lead. Mm -hmm. Now, in the rumbling which ensued, he said I was not alone. Uh, by seeing several distant flashes from six shooters on one side and on the other, he realized that... Uh, that he also had a gun, and he fired it several times in the air to reply, which told him that, like I say, other guys were out there uh, trying to help. Now, the wagon was camped about 200 yards from the bed ground, and so help would come to us uh, as soon as the men in camp would, could reach their horses. Now, realizing that the wide front of the running cattle, uh, John uh, to the left and myself to the right to point the leaders in order to keep the herd from splitting or scattering, uh, and then another rider, he got into the middle or in the center in the lead of the herd. Uh, now, th th this is a little bit of a dangerous thing. Uh, there are stories told of uh, guys that got caught in the middle of a stampede, and basically when they found them, there was really nothing left. Absolutely. The guy, mm -hmm. you can just imagine. Yes. But anyway, he says, I saw a succession of flashes like fireflies, which told me that the boys were coming to our assistance. Now, he says, running is not a natural gait with cattle, and if we could only hold them together and prevent splitting up, in time they would get tired, and the rear cattle would gradually catch up with the leaders. And he said, all we could do is hope uh, was to force them to run straight. And in this respect, they were succeeding, uh, though really in the dark, it was, it was pretty much a guess. And they'd gone about a mile, he figures, and the remainder of the outfit uh, uh, were coming up to help out. But he soon realized that they had only turned a few hundred head out of about 3,000. And so uh, Andy, like I say, he's the one telling the story. He said what they did was they stretched out a line until there was a man about every 20 feet, and they were trying to turn the herd, uh, but it didn't take long for the cattle to go right between the men and uh, the riders. And so we had people scattered all over and cows scattered all over. So... He says there was five or six of us that uh, we had a herd, and we circled the front of the herd. And for a third time, he said, we repeated the tactic in trying to turn the stampede. You see, we were attempting to turn them slowly on a much larger circle. Mm -hmm. And suddenly in the dark, we encountered a mesquite thicket into which the lead cattle tore with a crashing of brush and a rattle of horns. And at this point, there was no time to hesitate. He says, for our horses were in the thicket. And with the herd closing in on us, there was no alternative but to go through it, every man for himself. Oh, boy. Now, I've never seen a mesquite thicket. I, I, I think you have. I have been down in Texas quite a bit, and I don't know how in the world you could ever run through one of those mesquite thickets and not come out looking like frayed paper. Okay. Well, I'm going to get to that here in a minute. Uh, basically, Andy said, I gave my horse free rein. He says, I shut my eyes, clutching both candle and pommel to hold my seat. And he said, the black horse responded and tore through the thicket in places higher than my head. 
And he says, I came out in an open space considerably in the lead of cattle. Uh-huh. So here he is at this point. He says, being alone and not knowing which way to turn, I rode uh, to the front and found myself in the lead of a, a pretty good string of cattle. So at this stage of the run, we had no idea where the rest of the outfit was. The herd had scattered uh, on leaving the mesquite thicket and were possibly then running in a half a dozen bunches uh, like the one that we were with. Now, at this point, he says there were, he was in front of about 50 or 60 big steers uh, in the lead, and, and they'd take their six-shooters, and they would kind of shoot right in front of the cows, mm-hmm. the steers, to try to get them to turn. Um, but he said we soon finally had, a, had them milling around in a circle, and at this point, they were able to rest their horses. He said once they had, we had them milling, our trouble, as far as running was concerned, was over, uh, but all the two of us could do is kind of let them mill around in a circle and try to exhaust themselves. Uh, and at that point, all I could do was wait till daylight. Well, by the time dawn came, there was a heavy fog cutting off their view, and so they still really couldn't see much. But as the light of day brightened, he says we saw the cattle kind of quiet down and go to grazing, and uh, as though they'd just gotten up from a good night's rest. But after the fog had lifted, uh, he said we kind of got an idea where we were, and they fired a number of shots in the air of hope for getting an answer from some of the other guys in the outfit, but they had no response. Well, they couldn't determine their location, whether they'd run east or west or south during the night. None of them knew. He said, all we did know is we had between six and 700 head of cattle. Now, uh, the guy that was with him when they went through the uh, thicket, through the mesquite, mm-hmm. he'd lost his hat, and he said, I had one sleeve missing, both outside pockets torn out of my coat, and while the mesquite thorns had left their marks on the faces of both of us, <laughs> it was just amazing that they had made it through. I can't imagine going through that kind of an environment and not coming out without being ripped to shreds. Right. Well, and the one cowboy, he said uh, he bought some leggings about 10 years prior, and he said this is the first time <laughs> that they ever really came in to, to, to helping him out. Absolutely. So, anyway, after riding several miles, they sighted uh, another band of cattle, and they found two other cowboys holding uh, some cattle there and uh, anyway he continued to ride and they were soon on the uh, on the trail of another uh, herd of stampeded cattle but uh, and obviously the signs left by running cattle were pretty easy to follow mm-hmm. ground being pretty well torn up and uh, anyway as he was riding he made out a large band of cattle and finally he saw their chuck wagon and he rode for the herd and uh, at this point they had about 1200 of their a little over 3,000 cows uh, gathered up. Well, at this time, you can imagine, they've been riding since 2 o'clock in the morning, and they really needed to change horses, but uh, uh, they really didn't have time to. Um, and so, and, and again, they were, at this point, they were hungry, they were thirsty, uh, hoping to get something to eat, but at this point, the foreman's mind wasn't on eating or drinking. It was getting those cattle rounded up. Absolutely. And he said... Uh, as we went along, he said we did manage to encounter the wagon and got a drink of canteen uh, of water. So, But then he said after riding another mile or so together, we separated. We started throwing two bunches together, and we soon sighted the main herd. Uh, we saw across to our right about five miles away another uh, small bunch coming in. And, uh, you know, again, in an emergency like this, the foreman would never give a thought to anything but getting the cattle. Mm-hmm. I mean, the comfort of the men didn't mean anything. Uh, in fact, he says men were cheap, but cattle cost money. That's so, exactly right. So he said we reached the camp about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and 
We found the outfit cutting out range cattle, which had been absorbed into the herd during the night. Now, this this is something maybe people don't realize, but there's a lot of strays out there. Mm-hmm. And in the course of a stampede, you're going to gather up some extra cows. So at this point, they were trying to cut out the uh, stray cows that weren't in their herd. And again, they didn't change horses yet, and nothing was talked about for eating and drinking. And they cut out several hundred cattle that uh, weren't theirs. And uh, the count showed that they were, oh, about uh, a little over 300 cows still missing. Mm-hmm. So he says, as we uh, had been in our saddle since 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, it was needless, you know, to say that their appetites were pretty good. And so at this point, finally, they did get something to eat. And uh, the dinner was quickly over, and they did manage to get some fresh horses. And uh, uh, they were left with orders for the outfit to uh, start marching and uh, try to find the rest of the cows. So at this point, uh, they finally found the trail of the missing cattle. And they were only really about a mile or so uh, away from them. And so they gathered them all together. And again, they cut out the range cattle. They made a count. And now they had everything there. They had all the cattle return to the herd. Wow, now that is unusual after a major stampede. Right, and and he says basically they figured that the uh, some of the herds had actually run 20 miles. Yep. So, uh, you know, he said we uh, we finally reached a, a river called the uh, Atascosa, uh, and after holding the cattle on the water for an hour, they grazed them and uh, the remainder of the evening, and of course at that night every precaution was taken to prevent a a repeat of the run before, and he said our best horses were chosen for night duty because uh, our regular ones were too spent, too exhausted, and he said we went uh, into camp for the night, and the next morning I heard just uh, grazing in peace and contentment on the flowery plains. You know, isn't it interesting, though, Doc, that even today, the American cowboy, and uh, he he's a legend, he's a folk hero, he's looked up to and revered, but the life of the actual working cowboy back on the range and on those trail drives, boy, it wasn't pretty. No. Well, and again, you know, I don't know how many nights uh, you'd get to sleep before your turn came up to uh, ride the herd during the night. So these guys didn't get a lot of sleep. No. Uh, you know, and here again, uh, and I'll talk more about this at a later time, but uh, the cook was a pretty important guy. You know, uh, there's a picture, I think it's uh, by Remington or one of those guys that shows a uh, chuck wagon and yep. the a cowboy stand there with his horse and the horse is reaching over to, to bite a biscuit. Have you seen that? Oh, yes. I've got it here in my studio. Okay. According to this guy, that would never happen. You did not bring your horse anywhere near the cook. That's very true. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of things. The cook, basically, uh, you didn't cross him. That was the no. dumbest thing you could ever do if you crossed the cook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he was your main man, and you wanted to stay on his good side. Yep. So, but, you know, it's interesting, too. Uh, they usually had about 150 horses in the Remuda. And I found it interesting that uh, the 15 or 20 guys, as they would uh, pick out horses, they didn't like colored horses, like black and whites or, you know, paints, uh, uh, any of those different colors. Mm-hmm. Like the, the plain, dark, you know, the roans, the bays, stuff like that. They thought that the colored horses were stupid. 
And uh, Well, in some cases in my past history of owning some, I'm not going to disagree with that statement. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I've been some horses that I thought were pretty stupid as well. And it didn't matter what color they were. <laughs> But, uh, no, I tell you what, uh, I really, when you talk about trail drives and you talk about the the boring and the heat and the dust and the choking on the dust and the riding the drag and the cookie, the uh, the chef. Remember, remember Rawhide, that TV series? Oh, you bet. That was a great show. It really was. And uh, Gil Favor and Rowdy Yates and old Mushy and Wishbone was the cook. Boy, I'll tell you what, the guy that played that part of wishbone paul and i can't think of his last name right now all of a sudden i want to say mullins but that's not the case uh paul brinegar that was his name he was the actor and uh he did a great job portraying the ornery old cook on a trail drive because that's what they were well keep in mind that this guy's up earlier than everybody cooking breakfast yep uh making coffee and uh, then after the Cowboys leave, he's got to clean everything up, pack up the, the chuck wagon, and then, uh, of course, take it on some pretty rough ground uh, to stay up, you know. And then, then, of course, he's got to get there ahead of time and set up camp and cook dinner for the guys. Uh, so, yeah, you didn't want to cross this guy uh, and I can see, again, why they could have been a little bit cantankerous. Absolutely. Now, listen, folks, uh, this is really important because Dr. History is now available for you to listen to on podcast. Isn't that right, Dr. History? Yes. They can go to my website and listen at www.doctor, and then you got to put in a little dash, mm-hmm. history.com, doctor-history.com, and every week... Uh, this story will probably be on by tomorrow evening on on there, and uh, of course they can go back. There's about I think there's about 13 stories on there now that they can listen to, and every week we'll add a new one. Right after we get through the political season next week, we're going to really start hammering that home for everybody around the United States to listen to. But I certainly appreciate it, Doctor History Dash. Or I should say dr-history.com. There you go. I've only said it a thousand times. And uh, better known as Dr. Ken Turner, thank you so much for being on the program this morning. You bet. You have a good day, Zeb. God bless you, man. Thank you. Once again, folks, dr-history.com. And you can listen to those podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.